Hey everybody, welcome to Brain Over Belly. I am David Brown from Everest Surgical Institute and Idaho BMI. This podcast is all about solving the puzzle of obesity and the other diseases that are overwhelming our society and shortening our lives. It is high time for a new approach and better understanding of what is really going on. What we are witnessing isn't normal. I want to pivot in a new direction. Let's get started now by putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Thank you for joining us. For the video version of Brain Over Belly, visit our Idaho BMI channel on youtube.com. Hey everybody, welcome to Brain Over Belly. I'm David Brown from Idaho Bariatric and Metabolic Institute. I have with me today, Chanel Drucker, our dietitian at Idaho BMI. Welcome Chanel. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. For those interested in seeing the video of this podcast, uh, visit our YouTube page, Idaho BMI. Today's topic, an important one, um, a very common question, I believe, that is, who qualifies for bariatric surgery? Uh, just about everybody who comes into our clinic um, is wondering if they qualify, and I think it's a something people think about, and there's a lot of what I would consider bad information on that. Yeah, and where do you think all that bad information comes from? Um, I think it's outdated thinking about both the cause of obesity mm -hmm. as well as the operations, what they're about, what they achieve, and who they're targeted towards. You know, you know, with programs like My 600-Pound Life, there's another one like that. What's yeah, I think it? it's a thousand pound sisters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, these programs are one influence that drive this perception that, hey, bariatric surgery is for the extremely overweight individuals, um, maybe who can't leave their home almost, um, and that it's really incorrect. You know, a few years ago, five, six years ago, I was approached by a network. Um, really approaching me to do a program like that to compete with my hundred, my 600 pound life. Mm -hmm. And we had several conversations with the people at that network um, based out of New York. And it became apparent pretty quickly to me in those conversations that um, they really were only interested in profiling people whose BMI was over 60 or 70. In other words, they wanted the extreme examples because they're, they're selling a product which is right. entertainment and it was about the sensational. And so once I realized that, I really got turned off and chose not to, to do that. But I think it's that as well as just the traditional idea that, hey, Bariatric surgery, it's for people who just can't control themselves. They're, they're very, very overweight. And uh, that is very, very outdated thinking, outdated perception. Well, I even asked you, I said, you know, what percentage of our patients do we have that have a BMI over 60? And I think your response was 5% or less. So, Probably. you know, it's, it's a small proportion of what we do see in clinic. It is out there and we have it, but just that's something that I think the media has pushed on us that, that that's what qualifies us for bariatric surgery. When in reality, our day-to-day -day patients do not have a BMI 60 or above. Right. 
uh, I'd say three to 5% mm -hmm. of our bariatric surgery patient population have a BMI over 60. That's my guess. Um, and the reality is the nature of bariatric surgery is much more broad and its effects are much more broad as we've talked about on this podcast before. Longevity, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, all of these medical problems that are sort of everywhere now, there's nothing in modern medicine that is more effective in preventing and reversing these diseases than bariatric surgery. So, um, the traditional criteria for who qualifies for bariatric surgery, those criteria were generated in 1991 at the NIH National Institutes of Health. And it was a committee that was chosen among medical professionals. And they sort of just came up with what they thought made sense. It wasn't necessarily based on any studies, research, or anything. There wasn't a bariatric surgeon on that committee that's sort of like, hey, let's come up with guidelines for treating heart disease, but you don't include a cardiologist. It's a little silly. Yeah. That's okay, because they're changing them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we learn from history, hopefully, right. and we move forward and do something better. So, you, you're familiar with the traditional criteria? Yeah. So, usually what we see in clinic or the generic right now is if someone has a BMI of 40 or above with no comorbidities, so that would be like diabetes, sleep apnea, et cetera, um, you qualify. So, you just need the BMI of 40 or above. And then if you do have comorbidities, you just need a BMI of 35 and above. So that's pretty much what we see qualify. Yep. Now that's changing. Yeah. So for people who are not familiar with mm -hmm. BMI, you want to explain? Oh, body mass index. What is that? It's basically a calculation on your, your weight to height ratio. Um, it's pretty controversial nowadays. I do not believe it is the best indicator of someone's health because it only relies on gen general weight, but that's a discussion for another time. But it's basically just using that ratio to determine are you a healthy BMI or not. Um, 35 and above, we usually describe as obese. And then 40 and above is now. 30 and above is obese, so, okay. right? So 25 to 30 is overweight. Overweight. Sorry, and we're moving into classes now too. So I should mention we're changing a lot of things. Yep. So 35 to 40 is class two obesity, 40 and above would be class three. Yeah. So, but that calculation, mm -hmm. you know, weight to height ratio, it's a person's weight in kilograms, which we're typically not used to thinking of here in yeah. America. Uh, but one kilogram is 2.2 pounds. So a person's weight in kilograms divided by, by a person's height in meters squared. I know right. we're not used to thinking that way, but it's a, it's a ratio between weight and height. And therefore the heavier a person is, the ratio increases. Yeah. The number goes up. So again, it's not a perfect number, but it's readily available. It's easy to calculate. And so just by convention, that's sort of what we use. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that, those criteria, arbitrarily chosen, but they stuck for 32 years, pretty much. So insurance companies, they've used that for the basis of which patients they will fund and reimburse bariatric procedures for. Um, and it's guided a lot of policy, governmental policy, and a lot of different things. 
So it's been extremely influential. Right. Now, in the last 32 years, since those initial criteria, there's been hundreds of studies, more than that. There's got to be thousands of studies and research projects looking at obesity, all these diseases, as well as the effectiveness of bariatric surgery and its safety. Yeah, and I think, you know, we've touched on this previously, but they're looking back on these patients that have had bariatric surgery versus those that have not. And I mean, mortality rates decrease exponentially. I mean, we're seeing increases in life from six, seven, nine years, depending on what study you're looking at. But all across the board, we can see an increase in longevity, um, reduction in these comorbidities. If we're looking off this list, if I can just read it off, I mean, it said that um, bariatric surgery is basically treating type 2 diabetes, hypertension, dyslipidemia, sleep apnea, cardiovascular disease, um, fatty liver, chronic kidney disease. The list really goes on and on. It's a whole paragraph. Mm-hmm. So I think over time... Continue. Okay, okay. PCOS, infertility, which is a very interesting topic. Um, bone and joint disease. Uh, you know, it's anxiety and depression. I know we've talked about that as well. Yep. Mental health. It's, it's time that's really starting to realize that this surgery is not just for weight loss. It's a metabolic, you would argue neurological, but surgery. Yeah. In other words, so bariatric, that word mm-hmm. is a Greek word really relating to weight. Mm-hmm. It's a weight surgery, weight loss surgery. And I still use it just so people can cue in on what I'm referring to, but I hate right. the term. Um, it, it's really an out, outdated name or term. More... Recently, it's been termed metabolic surgery. Mm-hmm. You could think of it as longevity surgery. The crazy thing is there is nothing in modern medicine that touches the effectiveness of bariatric surgery in pretty much all of those diseases and including longevity. In other words, there's nothing else in modern medicine that extends life to the degree the bariatric surgery does. There's nothing that approaches its effectiveness in reversing diabetes, high blood pressure, even heart disease, or preventing or stabilizing heart disease. So that's really been the driving reason for looking at the criteria again and re-asking the question, who qualifies for bariatric surgery? Well, so that's a good segue. Can you tell me, like, how many people qualify for bariatric surgery now, just based on the guidelines that we talked about? Okay, so using Mm -hmm. the traditional, pretty much universal criteria, um, it's thought that about 30 million American adults would qualify for bariatric surgery. Now, so far in this country, we perform under 300,000 bariatric procedures a year. So really less than 1% of people who qualify for bariatric surgery using the traditional criteria end up having surgery. Um, Now with the new guidelines, which we'll get to in a minute and describe, um, the number is 46 million. It's estimated 46 million American adults would qualify for bariatric surgery based on these new criteria And my guess is there's not going to be a huge upshot in the number of bariatric procedures we perform. So the number of people who get bariatric surgery who qualify, it's going to be 1% 
down to like 0.3% of people. So, Which is going back to the idea of that it's not these extreme BMIs that we're seeing. No, not even close. And so, okay, so let's go over the new criteria. Essentially, they've frame shifted the BMI numbers down five, meaning that now under the guidelines uh, released by the ASMBS, the American Society of Metabolic Bariatric Surgery, as well as the American Diabetic Association, International Diabetic Association, Mm -hmm. you know, the bariatric organization, they're actually eight, nine years behind the ADA and the IDA. But the new criteria are BMI of 30 and above if people have diabetes or other metabolic comorbidities. If they don't, if they don't have diabetes, sleep apnea, or any of the, these other diseases, it's the BMI is 35 now instead of 40. So, you know, how many Americans or what percentage of Americans have a BMI over 40? It's around 6.6 to 7%. But if you ask the question, okay, how many people, how many American adults have a BMI over 35? 18%. So it just expanded to a much en- larger population enormously. So, <coughs> excuse me. So it's the same idea that it's based on BMI um, and a lower BMI if people have diabetes and these other comorbidities, but they've just lowered that BMI requirement because of the research over the last 32 years and how this is a cure. A- it's pretty unclose. It, it yeah. improves tremendously, improves. far more effective than anything by an enormous margin at treating these things. So, um, for example, again, you have in the back of your mind this idea of Mm -hmm. my 600-pound life. So, under the new criteria, a female who's 5'4 and who weighs 205 pounds, her BMI is 35.2. You know how many women are 5'4 and have weight? You know, it, it's an incredibly common thing. You, um, you look around and it's, there, it's a lot of people. The point is that that female, 5'4, 205 pounds, she now qualifies for bariatric surgery. And will benefit from it. Yes. Yeah, and, it, just, and just because, you know, it's not good TV for someone right. doesn't mean that... It, Great point. This is not about sensationalism or entertainment. It's about people living longer and avoiding cancer, heart disease, Alzheimer's, diabetes, all these things that are really wiping us out. Um, For a male, a male who's 5'10", weighs 245 pounds. You know how common that is? Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's, it's extremely common. So... That guy's BMI is 35.1. Under the new criteria, he qualifies for bariatric surgery. So, I think it's really important that people understand, A, the nature of the problem of obesity and these metabolic diseases. It's very different than people think. Um, And B, understand the true nature of bariatric surgery and what really happens to people who have these operations. It's not just about the number on the scale. Uh, It's improving insulin sensitivity, lowering inflammation, extending life, preventing all these diseases. 
Another thing to note is that there's no upper age limit when it comes to this surgery. I know sometimes people are a little bit surprised when we have our older patients come in. Um, like, wow, they're just, you know, they should be living life to the fullest at this point. But one can argue that living life to the fullest is, you know, living a long, healthy life. So um, something important to note is that there is no upper age limit. You could be 75, 77. I think that's our one of our oldest patients, right? Oldest person I've done a sleeve on was 82. <gasps> 82. Diabetic, awesome. hypertension, heart disease. Did great. Yeah. Essentially got off of all the medications for diabetes, blood pressure, et cetera. I have people in their 40s who ask me, aren't I too old for this operation? <laughs> um, so to me, that reflects, okay, they're... The understanding, the perception out there is, is, in my opinion, very, very off. So someone who's, and I see people in their 70s all the time, mm-hmm. aren't I too old for this? What do you think? I think? Well, are you too old to have a joint replacement? Are you too old to reverse your diabetes, high blood pressure, reduce your risk of heart disease, you know, have a heart attack? It's a great way to look at it. It's not all about aesthetics. Um, it's, it's, that's a nice sort of cherry on top that. That feels good. That's yeah. awesome. It's, it's a wonderful thing for me. It's about longevity and health span. So lifespan, how long people live health span is how long they're healthy. And I, I, I always argue that some of our older patients do the best because they get more excited to play with their grandkids. And that's always my argument with them is, you know, they want to go run around and, and, live their their fullest potential and that means you know being joint pain free and feeling great not worrying about medications and prescriptions and all of these things yeah i uh, we operate on some pretty high risk people and it's always a challenge you know being a surgeon and you you weigh the benefits of or the the balance between the benefits theoretical benefits of an operation and the risks and you know some surgeons are a lot more conservative in other words they'll they really only are going to choose patients who they think are going to fly and are extremely at low risk for having any complications i get it i understand that mindset on the other hand good argument could be made that it's the high risk people who are going to benefit the most you know who yeah. the people who are the most unhealthy um, have the most to gain. Yeah, and we see that in our practice. The people who have heart disease, they have diabetes, and they've had diabetes for 20 years. They can hardly move. And it's in those people that you, you see just incredible things happen. And yes, it's higher risk. There's a higher risk of having problems, you know, relating to the operation. But so it to, for me, understanding the benefits and the true nature of bariatric surgery shifts that conversation a bit or that that balance in my mind. It, it allows me to maybe operate on people who are a little higher risk because I think we, we're seeing the broader perspective on how they're really benefiting. And maybe this can be good in a way to show people how to be a little bit more open-minded on who qualifies, like back to that initial idea of who qualifies for this surgery. And it's way more people than we would think. It's our everyday Joe guy on the street. You know, it's not just these K 
characters on TV. It is 46 million Americans. Yep. And the perception is not just among lay people. The, the mm-hmm. perception that, hey, bariatric surgery, it's only for your extremely overweight people. You also see it in, in the medical community. I mean, I get feedback. You know, patients tell me, oh, I had nurses tell me, you don't qualify. Why are you having this operation? And it's just, it's, you know, it takes time for information uh, to spread. spread. And that's true even in the medical community. And the reality is, you know, so I've, I've done surgery on people whose BMI is 30 because I know the, the data and the long-term outcome. It's, it's, yeah, there's risk with it. And a lot of people would say, oh, that person doesn't qualify for bariatric surgery. They're not really, really big. But if you understand what the effect of the operation on inflammation, insulin resistance, and all of these things over the course of a lifetime, you, it's, it's more than worth it. On the other hand, um, there, there's a lot of studies that have looked at, well, is it, are people too young to have bariatric surgery? Oh, you're only 22, you know, don't, don't do this operation. Um, and it's actually opposite. I mean, if you look at it from a logical standpoint, if, if people make these changes, they pivot their lives from a health perspective at that early age, you get that benefit over even more years and decades. So it actually makes more sense. Even to the point that the American Pediatric Association advocates for these procedures in adolescence, down to age of 12, um, for BMI over 40. You know, it's the same idea that that this research has shown that, look, the bottom line is what happens to these people after surgery is, is great. It leads to lifelong benefits and changes. And even starting off earlier, then they can instill those healthy habits and ideals to their children and their children's children. And we're basically stopping generational obesity. So the other important point is just the effectiveness. That people can be on medications for diabetes, for blood pressure, for their heart disease, you know, paying a lot of money every month to treat these things fairly poorly Mm -hmm. when with bariatric surgery, you know, the idea of one and done, it's like, look, yeah, it's expensive. You know, you know, the insurance company has to pay a certain amount, but if people will follow, follow the program and if surgeons minimize risk, it truly is this idea of one and done, like one investment will reverse a person's course in their health span and lifespan for years and decades. So it's a very different approach than sort of putting a Band-Aid on problems, whether it's diabetes or there's other metabolic problems with all these medications over years and decades and spending all that money and they're not that effective. Well, I know you said this before, if there was a pill on the market that could do the same thing that bariatric surgery could do, we could never buy it to be sold out. Yeah. <laughs> if, if the pharmaceutical companies owned surgery centers where bariatric surgery was performed, they would put all of their resources into it. Right. But they don't. They develop drugs and medications. And so that's the emphasis. 
And that's the general approach in modern medicine. Another thing I know we've talked about is all of this is about perception, who qualifies, but a lot of times when people come up to me in appointments, they're always like, I feel like I'm taking the easy way route out, or I have someone else telling me that I'm taking the easy way out. And I always tell them, one, this is not the easy way. There's lots of work to be done behind the scenes. Um, two, it's the scientific way. It, 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 time and time again, science has proven that this is just the scientific reset that people need. And I try to really explain that to people. Um, knowledge is power so that the more we can spread this information of the benefits of bariatric surgery, not just on weight loss, but everything else we've touched upon, heart disease, diabetes, everything else, the more information we can give patients and people, then they can educate others and be like, this is not just for weight loss. It's not calories in, calories out. I'd like to treat my diabetes. I'd like to be off my medications. I think that's something that as a population, we can work on being more yeah. open-minded with. I mean, would you, would you tell a cancer patient that they're taking the easy way out by having cancer surgery? Of course not. That's right. ridiculous. And it, again, it's just this perception that, that being overweight, being obese, it's simply a, a flaw, a personality flaw, or people are weak, they're undisciplined. And we know that it's, it's absolutely not true. It's neurology and it's the engineering and the food industry. And we've shamed people to such a degree that they are so hesitant to seek out the treatment that is by far the most effective. And I had a funny story once and a patient told me, she was like, someone thought I was taking the easy way out. And she told him, I don't care if you think that because this is still the best thing I've ever done in my life. And I'm like, so she's okay. With it's hard to beat success. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, if we as a society, if we're interested in reversing the trends in disease, mortality, declining uh, life expectancy rates, if we're truly interested in a solution to the obesity pandemic, the diabetes, all these things that are flooding our culture, I think we have to be open to those options that are most effective. In the end, also the greatest cost savers. And it turns out for these things, it's, it's bariatric surgery. And I think um, we have to just change our perception and understanding and actually look at the numbers, look at the data. And it's, it's pretty clear so ultimately it's about longevity, human potential, quality of life. That's what it's all about. And it's a privilege to be working at something that you really believe in. I feel very privileged, you know, that I really believe in this because we see what happens to people. And it's it's so fun, it's so rewarding to see that. And to people for to see people discover their potential, and that they can overcome these problems, and uh, it's just the best. I agree. I love watching people change personality wise. Um, it's something I've never seen before, ever. Oh. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Chanel, for pitching in here and being a part of this conversation. Again, this is Brain Over Belly. It's all about human potential. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you.